reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus departed from there and came to his native place, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They said, Where did this man get all of this? What kind of wisdom has been given him? What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his native place, and among his own kin, and in his own house. So he was not able to perform any mighty deed there, apart from curing a few sick people by laying his hands on them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The Gospel of the Lord. been preparing for the upcoming pilgrimage to the Holy Land with the 52 people who will be coming with me. And as we prepare for the various sites, it's, and, and I get the resources ready, especially from sacred scripture, it's becoming more and more powerful. Thinking about the scene in the Nazarene synagogue, it's one of those great turning points in the life of Jesus that have enormous consequences for us. He came to his own, to the people who knew him. He taught. At first, the people were astonished. But then they began to wonder where he got it all because they used to know how he would make their tables and their chairs. How did he get all of this? They went from astonishment to taking offense at him. And they went from taking offense at him to trying to kill him after he had said a prophet's not without honor and except in his native place. And remembered the prophets when Elijah and Elisha had done miracles not for the Jews in the Old Testament but for pagans because a lot of the times they were much more open to the meaning of the signs. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And I think that the great contrast in sacred scripture is between Jesus' praise of the Syrophoenician woman and Jesus' statement about most of the people in Nazareth. About the Syrophoenician woman, he said, O woman, great is your faith. And here about those who had known him the entire time, he was amazed at their lack of faith. If Jesus were to come here to his own, far more than his native place of Nazareth, would he be amazed at our faith or amazed at our lack of it? Do we correspond to a real life of faith by the way that we pray, by the way that we keep our communion with him consciously throughout the day? Or is our faith episodic? We kind of take it out every once in a while when we pray, but the rest of the day is a life in which God is practically absent. 
That's the big question on which our life hinges. In the first reading, we see with King David that he was a man who would at times have great faith and at times almost none. A person who would say yes to God in heroic ways with incredible trust and a person who would shut God out and commit great sins. We've seen it already with the sins regarding Bathsheba and Uriah, but today there's a big sin. What is it? Was it just taking a census? No, it was what the census meant. God was in charge of the people of Israel. David was supposed to be a steward, not a boss. He was supposed to continue to trust in the Lord just like he had when he was fighting Goliath of Gad. And yet, he wanted to be in charge, he wanted to be in control, he wanted to know exactly how many troops he would have if he called on him, because he had forgotten that it was the Lord who was fighting with him. That even if it were David alone going against the Amalekites with 10 million troops, David plus God made it an unfair fight in David and God's side. But he numbered all his troops. He realized afterward that that was a great sin of a lack of faith in God, a lack of trust in his providence. But David's responses to his sins are always very important. You know, sometimes people object. Well, it was David who sinned. Why did everybody have to suffer? That's not fear. First thing we've got to grasp is our sins always make everybody suffer. There's no such thing as a private sin. If we're having a very seriously sinful thought, that eventually changes us. It is going to influence our words. It is going to influence who we are and how we interact with everybody. There is no private sin. Our sins always have social consequences. And the more public our sin, the more public social consequences. But when God, through the prophet, gave David these three alternatives, notice David's response. Again, he would sin when he would lack his faith in the Lord in action, but he would always repent by uniting himself once anew to the Lord. So he chose those three days of pestilence, because he said, let us fall by God's hand, for he is most merciful. In his punishment, he was going to trust in the Lord. That trust wouldn't let him down. Similarly, in our sins, our sins are always a time in which we fail to listen to God, in which we, at a practical level, treat him as if he's not Lord of our life. But our repentance should always be not just to do a punishment on the outside is if we keep ourselves distant from God. But it's always supposed to bring about that new union. That journey of David happens at every Mass. We come into the Lord's own house. We're supposed to be astonished at his teaching. But we recognize that many times we haven't lived in that astonished way in which some of the things that he allows offends us. Lord, if you really loved me, you would have never let my grandmother die. You would have never let me lose my job. You would have never let me catch cancer. 
you would have never let this occur. That's why we begin every Mass by crying out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we have sinned against you. Then we turn, Show us, O Lord, your mercy, and grant us your forgiveness. We're always reliving this experience of David and then opening ourselves up to an experience that we may become truly the Nazareth of our own age. Just as much as Jesus came to his own, so he wants to make us his holy temple. But he wants us to truly embrace him, to make him the greatest prophet welcome in this place in which he at every Mass is born anew. Let us ask him for that grace, that we might be the kin that he himself wants, which is not just those who are related by blood, it's not just those who are related through his blood in the sacrament of baptism, but as he said, it's those who hear the word of God and put it into practice will be my mother and my brothers and my sisters. This is the way we will keep that union alive. This is the way we totally depend on God's providence. This is the way that will lead him one day to say about us, O woman, O man, great is your faith.